and then uh, we will press on together. But for now, if you have your Bible, do open with me to Galatians 5. Have that there in front of you as we get into it. And I want to begin by telling you something that I was told by a professor uh, back at the beginning of my theological training at Bible College. One of our professors gave us some words of advice before we got stuck into the work, and he said this, life is only as good as the quality of your relationships. So be intentional about forming good relationships with each other. He knew that as a cohort of students, we'd be spending a lot of time together. We'd be engaging in rigorous theological debates. We'd be facing the stresses of life together for three years. And he urged us to work hard at our relationships with each other because life is only ever as good as the quality of your relationships. And we know this to be true, don't we? Think of some of the greatest joys in your life. They come from the relationships that we have. What are some of the most stressful things in life when relationships are strained? We could take this professor's instruction and apply it to our own context here as a local church in Belfast, here at Great Vic. The life and witness of this church will only ever be as good as the quality of our relationships. So let's be intentional about forming good relationships with each other. Now that, in a nutshell, is what Paul says to the Galatians and to us as he draws his letter to a close. In some ways, this shouldn't really surprise us because all along in this letter, Paul has been explaining that the gospel is not just a message that saves us, but it is a message that shapes us. First, in, this, in the first section of the letter, Paul explained how the gospel saves us. It was very clear. Faith in the person and work of Christ alone is all we need to be justified. That is, to be in the right with God. But then, in the second section of the letter, he's been explaining how that gospel that saves us shapes us. It's a life where, as Paul said in chapter 5, verse 6, our faith finds expression in love. Love for the Lord and love for other people. The gospel, we could say, is designed to create relational beauty. Beauty in our relationship with God and beauty in our relationships with each other. As one writer has said, the vertical glories of the gospel are supposed to come down and spread out horizontally. But we know this is not easy. Living out relational beauty in our relationships in a local church can be a challenge. We all come from different backgrounds. We have different personalities, different preferences. We are all at different stages in the journey of Christian growth and maturity. All of these differences can strain our relationships and create at times relational ugliness. Now last week I didn't point this out, but did you notice that the passage 
on walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, that whole passage was bookended with the problem of relational disharmony. If you look down at your Bible, look at chapter 5, verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by each other. Then jump down to chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so there in that sandwich of relational disharmony, Paul puts at the center this passage on what it looks like as a people to walk in the Spirit. Not have our relationships characterized by relational ugliness, like the acts of the flesh, envy, provoking one another, all of those things, but actually to have our relationships characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of those wonderful characteristics of the Spirit. So, what we saw last week is that Paul's answer to the problem of relational disharmony is you need to learn how to be a community that walks in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The Spirit will bring forth the characteristics in each of your lives needed so that there's relational beauty. Isn't that wonderful? A Spirit-filled community will be a community marked by beautiful gospel-shaped relationships. But now in chapter 6, we get Paul's answer to anyone in Galatia who would step back and ask, okay, well, how do we practically become this community that puts spirit-led relational beauty on display? How do we actually do it? And that is a question that we should each be asking because we all have our part to play in seeing relational beauty here at Great Vic. You could ask yourself the question this morning as we begin, how do I contribute to healthy, gospel-shaped relationships at Great Vic? And to help us with that, Paul gives us an instruction, a motivation, and a reminder. So the instruction on how to be a spirit-filled, relationally healthy community, the instruction's this. First, be intentional about building healthy, reciprocal relationships. Now, every word of that heading is really important. <laughs> the first thing we're called to do to practically build healthy relationships here is each take our responsibility to be intentional about building healthy, reciprocal relationships. We'll see this from chapter 5, verse 25, to chapter 6, verse 6. So before we see what our relationships should be like positively in 6, 1 to 6, I just want us to see what they shouldn't be in 5.25. That's why I've put that verse with chapter 6. Here we see in chapter 5, verse 25, what out-of-step-with-the-spirit behavior patterns look like that can damage our relationships. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, the original word behind conceited literally means 
empty of honor. So conceit is not just pride. It is a deep-seated, self-absorbed insecurity leading us to feel like we need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. Boy, that's challenging. Conceit can find expression in unhealthy relational comparison. Conceit can make us view other people as rivals. People we're competing with to be better than them. Paul says that conceit finds expression in provoking and envying one another. Now, provoking is when conceit gives us a bit of a subtle superiority complex. We subtly put others around us under pressure to measure up to our great standards. Envying is when conceit leads us to feel a bit inferior to others. We feel like we can't measure up to all these amazing people, and so we can feel discouraged and a little bit envious. It's easy to think that conceit is seen only in the superiority complex, but it can be seen just as much in the inferiority complex. How so? Because in both cases, we're engaging in self-absorbed comparison with others to try and find our sense of worth. All through this letter, Paul has been saying, your sense of approval, your sense of blessing, wholeness, shalom, it is found in Christ. So if that is true, why do you still seek your approval from the people around you? Why don't you rest in the approval that you have in God? Let me encourage you to keep looking to the Lord to fill your approval-hungry heart. That heart that by nature is empty of honor and approval. You're just longing to have it filled. See, as long as you keep looking for man to fill that, your honor-hungry heart, no human being can fill that. Only God can. In a triathlon, The elite athletes at the front have a goal. Needless to say, I'm not among them. But their goal is to beat everyone else to the finish line and be the best. Our relationships in church should never be like that. We should never be trying to, in some sort of subtle competition, try to beat everyone else to being better than everyone else. That's what our relationships should not be like. But now, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, Paul shares three ways our relationships should take on a reciprocal nature of Christian care. First, he says our relationships shouldn't be marked by competing with one another, but should be marked by genuine brotherly and sisterly concern for one another. So not competing with one another, being concerned for one another. Look at chapter 6, verse 1, please. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. As brothers and sisters in Christ, the goal of our relationships in this local church and outside of it, the goal of our relationships is to help each other live in the goodness of the gospel. That's what we're trying to do with each other. Help each other live in the goodness of the gospel. And part of this is keeping a close watch on each other. If we see someone in our community who's straying off, think of a sheep, think of the flock together, and there's a wee sheep just going up in lured, oh, maybe there's grass greener way over there. But out there, it's dangerous by yourself as a little sheep. If we see someone who's straying off into sinful behavior, caught in patterns of unhealthy sinful living, we who are the spiritual ones. Now, that doesn't mean super saints, super Christians. That just means we who are the people of the Spirit. We should work to restore them. And I think in that way, we're not just being Christ-like, we're being Spirit-like. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit pursued us when we were far off from Jesus. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not an abstract force. He is a person. He pursued us when we were far off from Jesus. He quickened the gospel to us. He opened our understanding and our hearts. He put us into Christ. And so one way we will be spirit-filled and reflect the nature and person and character of the Spirit, we will go out and look and pursue one another. When we see someone in sin, we will seek to draw them back. We will seek to point them back to Christ. See that word, restore. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. That word restore in its original speaks of setting in place a dislocated bone. You don't do this roughly, you do it gently. It might bring initial pain, but when the bone is back in place, oh, it's worth it. But as we do this work of seeking to restore one another, note Paul's caution at the end of verse 1. Keep a close watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted as we are correcting and seeking to care for one another. We have to recognize our weaknesses and be humble as we seek to restore the erring brother or sister. And I think what Paul has in mind here is especially that sin of conceit. Don't let it creep in here, where when you're correcting someone, you start to think, oh, aren't I great? So our relationships should be those of concern for one another. But second, Paul says our relationships should be characterized by carrying. Not just concern, carrying. Carrying each other's burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we lived in Madagascar, there were these big oxen called Zebu. Z-E-B-U. 
Sometimes one zebu would pull a big cart uh, that was loaded with whatever it was loaded with. But if that big cart had a load that was too heavy for one zebu, you would yoke a second zebu to the cart so that they could bear the burden together. In our relationships, we are not to leave people to carry heavy burdens alone. We are to get alongside them, like that zebu, (laughs) and we are to see if we can help them by bearing some of the load. And when we do this, Paul says, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that's a reference back to chapter 5, verse 14, when Paul said, the whole law is fulfilled in loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, these burdens could be anything. The burden of raising a newborn. Stressful seasons in people's lives, like house moves, or periods of grief and loneliness. These burdens could be general sin struggles that we need help and accountability with. We are called, all of us, to be involved in both sharing our burdens with others and having our burdens carried as we carry others' burdens. And in verse 3, Paul says, If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now, essentially, he's saying, look... If you think you're above all that, wake up. You're not. If you think I'm an island, I don't need anyone to carry my burdens, and they can all carry their own burdens, or if you think, do you know what? I just don't need this. I'm just going to shut up my heart, and I'm just going to turn up and then go home. Be really careful. That might not be anything more than pride. In the name sometimes of humility, oh, I'll not weigh them down with that. That could be pride. I don't want to look weak. Paul says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, you're deceiving yourself. We all need this. We need people to help us carry our burdens, and other people need us to help carry theirs. And then in verses 4 and 5, the language is a wee bit dense. It's difficult. But he reminds us that as we do this sharing of burdens, we have to recognize that we still have a responsibility for our own walk with the Lord and our life of walking in the Spirit. We are to do, as verse 4 says, we're to test and examine our own work. Now that means we are each to evaluate our lives and our walks with God before the Lord and His Word. Then we can have a right sense of confidence in our walk with the Lord according to the right standard of righteousness not by comparing ourselves with others. See, if you compare yourself with others and you think, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as good as them. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm okay. That's a very faulty standard of righteousness. No, you're called to test your own walk, your own work before the Lord and His Word. Then you've got a solid standard of righteousness to do this work of self-evaluation. And as you do that, you recognize that there is a load that you have to carry that no one else can carry for you. That's what Paul says in verse 5. Each one will have to bear his own load. So there's one burden we cannot share, and that is our responsibility to the Lord for walking in His ways on the day of judgment. 
in that day, no one can step in and say, here, let me take your load. No. So you have a responsibility. How are you going to engage in this work of sharing burdens, carrying them, and sharing them with others? How are you going to, how are you going to engage in that? You've got to be involved in that. Remember, there is a day coming where you're going to you're going to have to face the Lord about your responsibility that you had before God to walk with Him. Now, as serious and sobering as that, that, that is, let's remember straight away the truth that has been repeated over and over again in this letter, how thankful we can be that Christ is here for us in that day. He'll stand with us, righteous in Him, safe. So, these reciprocal relationships They're to be expressed in concern for each other, in carrying each other's burdens. And then thirdly and finally, one way that these reciprocal relationships are shared in the church is when we share good things with those who teach us. Verse 6, I think this should go with verses 1 to 5. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. The ministry of the word is such a responsibility for those entrusted with it that those who are engaged in it should be blessed and encouraged by others. Now this verse 6, the one who is taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches, that probably meant in its original context providing for the needs of those ministering the words, as in the practical needs, so that they could give themselves to the full-time ministry of the word. But it also refers to encouragements that we share with our teachers from how God is ministering to us. Think of this, reciprocal relationships. You've received encouragement and blessing from those sharing the word with you. So you share how you're being encouraged and blessed with those teachers of the word. Now, it's pretty weird for me to stand and say this to you this morning, but I'm just trying to be faithful to what's in front of me. That's part of what we were doing in that little bit in the service about our Sunday school teachers. Think of how they're teaching and encouraging the children. Wouldn't it be lovely to just keep going, coming alongside them and showing appreciation? The kids might not have the wherewithal to do that just yet, but we could come alongside and encourage them. But as teachers receive that blessing and encouragement, they have to be really careful to keep a watch that they don't get all puffed up in pride. So here's what this first section is all about. Be intentional in the local church about building healthy, reciprocal relationships of care. That is the mark of a spirit-filled community with relational beauty on display. So let me just ask before we move on, how are we doing at this? How are you doing at being intentional about caring carrying, and encouraging. To do this, I guess we need to be close to one another, don't we? Let's be realistic. We can't do this with everyone. We will have those that we're closer to that we can confide in and share. But all across the church, this should be going on. And I'm so encouraged when I hear of the little stories of how others have stepped in and carried burdens with others. It's so wonderful. Let's keep doing that. So, that's the instruction on how we can practically become this spirit-filled community displaying relational beauty. Now the motivation from Paul. 
Remember the principle of sowing and reaping, verses 7 to 10. The principle to motivate this kind of relational effort is stated in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul is saying essentially, when it comes to your enjoyment of relationships in the local church, you will get out only what you put in. In the farming metaphor, sowing here refers to our actions in intentionally investing in others. That's the concern, the carrying, the encouraging. If you're sowing these things, doing these things, you will find yourself reaping these things. You will start seeing yourself being encouraged. You'll find people sharing your concerns, carrying your burdens with you. You will reap what you sow. But if you're not sowing these things, you can't expect to reap these things. And this is very challenging to those who come into a local church with a consumer mindset. Such people find a preacher they like, they go to feed, and not much more. They don't really engage in the care of the community. The preacher moves on, and they move on to find some new place to consume. And then one day they wake up totally disillusioned by the whole thing because they've never invested in any deep relationships in any local church They've never really put their roots down anywhere and thought about others. Let's not let today's consumer mindset infect us in the local church. Don't be deceived into thinking you can just consume. God cannot be mocked by your consuming as you ignore his command to carry each other's burdens, to show concern, to encourage. Don't keep Christ's church at an arm's distance while you consume. Paul expands this whole principle slightly wider in verse 8. More generally, he says, the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. I think that's a sort of deep level truth that this is all flowing out of. How do you sow to the flesh? Well, in chapter 5, verse 19, last week, we saw what the works of the flesh are. You sow to the flesh by indulging those things that are listed in chapter 5, verse 19. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries. Don't sow to those things in the local church. Don't indulge those things. Sow to the Spirit. How do you do that? Chapter 5, verse 22. We seek to practice the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace patience towards one another and kindness towards one another, humility towards one another. Imagine there, I've used this illustration before, but it's, I think it's, it's helpful because it really gets at what Paul's saying here. Imagine there's two plants in front of me, one that has a big label on it that says, the works of the flesh, the old by nature man or woman. Then over here, you've got the new self, new creation in Christ's self, the, the, the person of the spirit plant here. Whichever plant you feed the most, that's the one that's going to exert most influence in your life. So if you're sowing to the flesh, you know, gossip, envy, 
that deep sort of competitive spirit with each other, if you indulge in those things, that bitterness to one another, that envying, you're going to make that plant grow strong and you're going to reap its bitter fruit. But if you starve that plant and don't give it any food, just cut it down. And then you go over here and you sow to the spirit, the new self, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. That will grow strong and exert more of an influence in your life. Paul says, you sow to the flesh, you'll from the flesh reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, well, that's the place of life. Though the return is not always immediate, and though it can feel like we're sowing and sowing, sowing into relationships and sometimes never getting anything back, look at how Paul encourages those who feel like that in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. See, Paul recognized this is realistic. It's really hard to keep intentionally sowing into good relationships in the local church. It's hard work. But he says, look, let's not become weary in doing that. Because the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow and you invest in relationships in the local church to see them become gospel-shaped and Christ-honoring, you will get out what you put in. But if you don't do that and you just sow to being a person of division, envy, just always complaining, always discontent, always throwing mud from the margins, what are you going to get? You're going to reap what you sow. Now, sadly, some people do get burnt in their relationships in churches. And it can make them throw in the towel and shut down their hearts for fear of getting hurt again. I wonder, are you doing that? It can weary us to just keep trying to do good whenever we keep getting met with the opposite. But take heart. Verse 9 is a promise to you. Keep working hard at this because you will one day reap good things. If not on this earth, then when you meet the Lord and hear his well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 10 then is the conclusion to this section. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Isn't that one of the most beautiful expressions for the local church? The household of faith. Did you notice he started that section 6-1, brothers and sisters? And he ends it with the family of faith. Of course we're going to have times when our relationships are strained, what family doesn't? But you don't just walk away from your family quickly. You work through it to see relational beauty. So let's ask a question again before we move on into the last section. How am I sowing into the life of this church and the people of this church? Are there ways that I have been actively sowing to the Spirit? Are there ways I can more actively sow good things? Are there ways that I've been sowing to the flesh? Do you know one way you can sow well? Prayer. 
I just see prayer as this work of sowing into people's lives, just praying the seed in. By praying, we are loving. See, when you pray for another person, you're loving them. Let's be people who pray well. There's a little booklet that's been produced of all those serving in teams over the summer. Maybe as a response to this morning's message, you could say, I'm going to take that book and pray for those serving over the summer. If you're a member here, you should have a member's directory. Maybe you could make it a new goal to just start and to open that in your intercession, just praying through the names that are on there and say, Lord, this is my active way of trying to sow to the health of this community. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's a practical thing to do. So if you want to become this spirit-filled community with relational beauty on display, be intentional about building those reciprocal relationships. Second, find motivation from this principle of sowing and reaping. Now third, finally, Paul gives us a reminder in verses 11 to 18. In your relationships, always keep the main thing the main thing. In verse 11, Paul's saying, see how my conclusion is in bold font to really help you get my point. In verses 12 and 13, he warns of the Judaizers who we've seen over and over again in this letter. And he wants to make sure that the Galatians are not led astray by them any longer. He's essentially saying there in verses 12 and 13 that these false teachers who've come into your midst, they want to influence you, but they don't have good motives. They just want to avoid persecution that comes from saying Christ alone is sufficient to save. They want to boast in their religious achievements. Don't give in to them. These are not good relationships to be influenced by. Watch out for them. But then in verses 14 to 16, he says these wonderful words. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We have to ask ourselves in light of a statement like that, are we crucified to the world or does the world still hold great interest to us? See that word to boast here. In 12 to 13, Paul spoke of the Judaizers who wanted to boast in the flesh. Boast means to rejoice in, to have confidence in, to glory in. And Paul says, look, we're the people who don't boast in our religious attainments or in anything worldly. We're the people who boast in the cross. We put no confidence in the flesh. For, verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Do you know what Paul's saying there? Look, the only thing that makes us right with God is being made new by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit who puts us into Christ. See, all your other differences, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're black or white, rich or poor, whatever background you're from, none of that ultimately matters when it comes to gaining right standing with God. The only thing that counts is that you are a new creation in Christ. And why is Paul saying that? Because he wants to close by reminding the Galatians that this is what unites us together in our relationships. Verse 16, as for all who walk in this rule, that rule of faith, peace and mercy be upon them. That is, peace and mercy be upon the Israel of God. That's an expression that means all of God's people, redefined as Abraham's seed, children of promise in Christ. 
Here is what unites us as believers. Here is what binds us together in the church. Shared life in Christ. See, all of our other differences, they are all subordinated beneath this thing that unites us, our shared life in Christ. I spoke with Yanni last week and she gave me a great phrase. The basis of our fellowship in the church is our shared new life in Christ, not the light we have received after coming to Christ. On the path of true Christian liberty, we do not all think the same. We do not all believe the same things about secondary and tertiary doctrines. We don't all think exactly the same about what songs we should sing or about various different things. But that's okay. Because unity in the local church does not mean absolute 100% uniformity. Because we have shared life in Christ. And there is enough room on this path of Christian liberty for those differences. And this is why we can call our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ brothers and sisters in Christ. They're on this road of Christian liberty and they believe this about the church and about baptism. And I don't believe it the same way. But what unites us is our shared life in Christ. This is what forges our relationships together. That's how we've come together. And so I think Paul closes with a warning and a reminder of what unites us to help us to see and to help the Galatians see. Look, there are many things that that you differ over. But the main thing that unites you is your shared life in Christ. Whether you're from a Jewish background of circumcision or whether you're not, that doesn't matter. Because now you're a family in Christ. So show concern for one another. Carry each other's burdens. Sow into each other's lives. Put the beauty of the gospel on display. Do you remember how Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17 just before he left this earth? Out of all the things he could have prayed, he prayed about relational harmony in the church. I pray, Father, that they would be one so that the world would see and know that you have sent me. What does he mean there? I pray that the the world looking on would see that the church is united in me, so that they would look on and it would be a powerful witness to a broken, relationally broken world. There is a place of relational healing in Christ. It is so anti-Christ when there is a church filled with broken and tense relationships. And they're swept under the carpet as if no one wants to touch the Pandora's box. That's not a church. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel that saves is the gospel that shapes. So as we've been forgiven, we start to be forgiving towards one another. As we've been loved, we start to love one another. As God has been patient towards us, we start to be patient with one another. That is gospel orthodox theology finding expression in gospel orthodox living. This relational beauty is not just a sideline thing. This is the goal of the gospel. Relational unity with God 
and relational healing with one another. What happened when Adam and Eve blew it out in Eden? It damaged their relationship with God. And what other relationship did it damage? Their relationship with each other. And God heals our relationship with himself. And in the church, he's at work in a new community, a new creation people who are putting on display the glory of kingdom-shaped relationships for a broken world. So, let's just wrap up this whole thing and ask ourselves again a few questions. In this church, am I keeping the main thing the main thing? Or am I overemphasizing the things that divide me from others? You know, some Christians spend so much of their time debating the finer points of theological secondaries with other Christians and forgetting that there's a lost world out there who needs to hear of Christ. Let us be known as the people who boast in Christ, glory in Christ, have confidence in Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. So, life is only as good as the quality of your relationships. Be intentional about cultivating gospel-shaped relationships in the local church. Ask yourself, is there anything I need to change in the way I'm engaging in gospel-shaped relationships at Great Vic? Is there anything I need to do more intentionally? Is there any way I need to learn how to share more of my burdens? Is there any way I can be more intentional about helping others carry their burdens? Let's strive to work hard at seeing relational beauty become a reality here in our relationships at Great Vic. To walk in that desire expressed by Jesus that his church would be one. So that's the book of Galatians. Christ is enough. And in him, our faith finds expression in acts of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simple and beautiful truths that have flowed out of this letter Sunday by Sunday. But Father, it's one thing to hear the truth, it's another to do what it says. And so I pray, Lord, that we would rest all of our hope for righteousness in Christ as we've been called to over and over again in this letter. And then we would seek to see our faith expressed in love, love for you and love for others. And that, Lord, we would think about how we can show concern, how we can carry burdens, how we can encourage one another that we would be motivated by that principle of sowing and reaping and that we would be reminded that what unites us is far greater than that which might divide us. Oh Lord, as we are united now, as we respond in song and especially the place where we really proclaim our union around the Lord's table, oh bless us and encourage us, we pray, as we think about our response to your word this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.